Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Drawing Near to the Throne of Grace on deepening your prayer life. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. We're in week six. Tonight we're going to talk about the persevering heart, pressing on in prayer. Many people have begun well, strong at some point in their prayer life, and then something happened along the way, and you remember the days of yore, but it's just not that way anymore. Or maybe you never got cranked up in your prayer life, and you're, but, but it's always been sort of there, and you just wish that you could progress in that. Tonight, as uh, just following up on what we did last week with the prayer cards, did anybody try the prayer cards this week? Any hands? Okay, a few little, little motion there. Was that a helpful? Anybody? Yeah, maybe? Um, well, today I'm just going to, just for like three minutes, invite you into my time of prayer. I just picked out a few of my prayer cards, and I'm just going to pretend for a minute you're not here. I can't totally do that. I, I, I'd be more animated in my own time with the Lord. But I'm just going to pray out loud, and it just is an illustration of the way I uh, use these cards, and uh, for whatever it's worth. You know, we're all different, so... You can do anything you want. But I thought, well, uh, maybe I didn't explain it enough last time, and so maybe giving an example would help. So I always pray with music. So if you'd like to turn on the music, maestro, and let's just enter the Lord's presence, and we'll also pray for our time together. Lord, we enter your presence right now. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the Father's love. Lord, I'm going to thank you so much that you allowed me to be born. I pray that you would bless me indeed, according to the prayer of Jabez. I pray that you'd enlarge my territory, that your hand would be on me, that you'd keep me from evil. Help me to love you and hate sin. I pray for fruit and evangelism. I praise you, Lord, for the house you've given us here in Columbia, for the chance to go to seminary, for the cars you've given us, for the youth group, for my kids' braces, for Northeast Presbyterian Church, uh, for my laptop. Thank you for my children's good SAT scores. I pray, Lord, as the work develops in Argentina, that this, this year they could open the university work that you'd guide Gabriela and Florencia if they're to be a part of that. I pray, Lord, for the opening of the work in Uruguay. Lord, provide a good staff for that. For Martin and Kali as they pray about coming to the United States, that you would open the doors, you'd provide a visa. I pray for the Argentina navigators. Lord, we've been asking you for 10 full-time staff, 10 part-time staff, for a 2-7 administrator, for a key disciple in every single province, for two new U.S. missionaries to work with churches. Thank you for the discipleship, church discipleship ministry there in Argentina. I pray you bless the Colossians 2-7 ministry, the radio program, the web page, the conferences, the, that you'd uh, expand this ministry into the provinces for good teamwork, for a godly, heaven-sent vision. I pray for my friends in Germany, Lord, for Stefan, Reiner, Christel, Werner, Thomas, Wilfried, Andreas Courthouse, for Christian, Rene, Lord, I haven't seen them in so many years, but I pray that your hand of blessing would be on their life, that you would encourage them, that you would multiply your life through them. For these young people that visited us in Argentina as summer missionaries over the years, for Brian, Patrick, Mary, Troy, Karen, for Heather and Anna and Philip, Lord, please continue to guide their lives. Use them to touch other people for Christ. For the radio ministry in Argentina, I pray that you'd help us to broadcast on 100 stations in Argentina. And eventually in every Spanish country in Latin America, I pray for fruit that remains, for a powerful anointing as the word goes out. Thank you for these missionaries, Lord, for Hector and Lena, for Francisco and Noemi. Hector, as they go back to Siberia, provide for their needs. Help them with their little boy, one year old, as he for the first time learns to live in Siberia, in that cold, cold place. For Francisco and Noemi, as they've moved into a city in Morocco, Lord, by faith. Lord, give them solid people to invest their lives in, encourage them and protect them in that Muslim country. For the little church plant in Greater Buenos Aires in Pilar, Lord, give them effective evangelism. Help them to get that bathroom built. I pray for 10 key converts and for your provision. And now, Lord, as we enter this time of this class, 
to talk about pressing on in prayer. Help us, Lord. There's so much to cover tonight, and some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight have baffled us for years, and I'm not one that good at explaining things. I pray for the Holy Spirit to illumine as only He can our hearts on these important truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, some of you may need just to calm down in your prayer time. You just need to be quiet, go slow. You know, tranquility needs to be your watchword. If I get that way, I go to sleep. Uh, so I have to kind of keep going. Or I, I, uh, you know, an airplane, if it doesn't go fast enough, falls. And I'm sort of a lot more like an airplane. But you may be more like a sailboat. So whatever the pace and uh, atmosphere helps you, I think would be pleasing to the Lord. Okay, well, we've had some thoughts on using your prayer cards. And I want to mention that as we talk about prayer and we, uh, look, we've looked at the sovereignty of God and, and how does that relate to prayer. And I think in all of these questions, as we look at it, it's so important to be led by the Spirit and by the Word of God, what God has actually said, and to take Him at His Word, than by our flesh, in terms of what it just seems like to me, and by our logic. Not that it's wrong to think, but we need to think in terms of what God has actually said, instead of saying, well, but it seems to me that, etc. Now tonight, we have a very important topic to look at, and we're going to really fly tonight. And some of these things, I'm, I'm just going to kind of open the can and give it to you and leave it with you. Because this, this, we could have a wonderful time for a couple of weeks on this, but we don't have a couple of weeks. So we're going to do it all tonight. So I hope you're really awake tonight because we're going to have a great time. And we want to look at this issue of what, uh, these experiences of God saying no. What times, maybe you have had times of prayer where there was one particular thing that was really on your heart. A, a loved one was sick. You were sick. Uh, you wanted a particular job. You needed provision for a particular need. And you prayed and you really... They said, you got to have faith, so you had faith, you know, and you were telling people, and this is going to happen because we're praying, and then it didn't happen. And it just sunk your ship. Before that, you were consistent and energetic, and then after that, it was like a blimp with no air. And you may never have recovered from that, or uh, it's still just sort of a leaky thing. You try to uh, prop yourselves up and say, well, but you're supposed to pray. But lurking back in your mind are these experiences, yeah, but I don't know, I can't quite figure that thing out. It, you know, it, it's sort of a hit and miss proposition, maybe it's sort of like the lottery. I don't know if it's me, I don't know if it's God, but I'm just confused on it. And so we want to fly through a number of scripture instances where God talked, a person in the Bible prayed, and God said no. Now when you think of big names in the Old Testament, what are the three biggest names? Abraham, Moses, and David. Can you name a bigger one? I mean, Elijah was pretty big, but, but there's more about the three of those guys than just about anybody, isn't there? Okay, so let's look at uh, some of these situations and see what we can learn from them. And we're going to look at a number of cases where God said no to some of his best people. His best friends. He called Abraham in Isaiah 51. He says, Abraham, my friend. Well, God wouldn't tell his friend no, would he? Yes, he would. Abraham, Genesis chapter 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? God had just said, Well, uh, no, it's not going to be through Ishmael. It's, it's, uh, I'm going to give you your own child. And this has been 25 years after the promise. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. And, and Abraham says, Aren't we doing this the hard way? Uh, will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Hey, why don't we just go with Ishmael? We, we got a winner already. Maybe it's not exactly, you know, because of the Hagar thing and everything. But, you know, that's culturally acceptable these days. And can't we just go with Ishmael? But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. This is... So what is going on there? Was this because Abraham had, had sinned? Well, no, not, not, not as such. God doesn't say, no, you, you sinner, that's why I'm not going to answer your prayer. Why did God tell him no? It was because God knew there was a better way. 
Abraham wanted to go with what looked clear and easy. And God says, no, I want to go with something that looks impossible but will bring me great glory. Would God have gotten much glory doing it through Ishmael? This thing that, you know, Sarah and Abraham and Hagar kind of worked out. No, that wouldn't have glorified God. That, show, that would have showed God helps those who help themselves. You know who said that, by the way? Benjamin Franklin, Poor Richard's Almanac, 1757. Not in the Bible. And here we see, well, it's not God helps Abraham who helped himself. God says, no, 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 we're not going that way. That is of the flesh. He says, we're going to do something that's going to be remembered for the next 3,000 years. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. Sometimes God says, no, because he's got a better idea. Okay, let's look at another one. Moses. Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23 through 28. I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as thine? Now, in Deuteronomy, where are they? What, what place? Where are they? Okay, they're uh, sort of. They're kind of right on the edge of the promised land on the plains of Moab. If we have the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea down here, right at the top of the Dead Sea and on the right side is the plains of Moab. And it was high so they could look across and see all of the Jordan Valley and the hill country of Judea. And Deuteronomy is called Deuteronomy because it was the second giving of the law. Deuteros Nomos, Nomos law, Deuteros second. And in Deuteronomy it consists of like three sermons where they re-give, he re-explains the law to this new generation because the old generation had died off in the years in the wilderness. And at this point Moses is pleading he says, let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. Now, why would God, I mean, why did he even need, even need to ask this? God had told Moses, he says, I've picked you to lead the children of Israel out of the promised land, out of, the, out of Egypt, and into the promised land. And, and now Moses is saying, oh, please let me go in the promised land. Well, Moses had disobeyed God. Remember the second time with the rock and water incident, God had said, speak to the rock. He struck the rock. And uh, so he disobeyed God because he was so upset with the people. Have you ever disobeyed God because you so, were so upset with your kids? Something happened, and maybe you just let a curse word out. Men, I guess the women wouldn't do such a thing. But uh, some of the men have done this. <laughs> and uh, just, you know... Moses also had a moment when he snapped. Now, moms, you probably snapped in other ways, you know. But there are times when you're just so provoked that you, you're, you're kind of red blinders come down, you know. And heaven help anyone that gets in your way at that moment until that, the peak of the wrath passes. Well, Moses had that moment of wrath, and he dishonored God, disobeying God publicly in front of all the people. God had said, speak to the rock. He struck the rock. And God says, well, you're not going to get to go in the promised land. So, he says, but the Lord was angry with me on your account. That's why, it's, you know, to Moses, it's like, it's not, this isn't just me, it's also you. I mean, if you hadn't been so stubborn, I wouldn't have gotten so mad. You know, don't we do that sometimes with our kids? They say, well, I know, I yelled at you and, and threw you across the room. But, you know, <laughs> one time, when, when it happened to me, it was with my dog. And my dog kept getting in the car, and the dog wasn't supposed to get in the car. We were leaving, you know, and the dog, I don't know what the dog was thinking, but I kept pulling the dog out, and uh, Bonita in Argentina. And, and finally, I, I lost it, and I took the dog. My kids will never forget this. I took the dog, and I threw it 23 feet through the air, you know. Well, the dog didn't get back in the car, but <laughs> went limping off, and I was the bad guy. And... Um, it says, but the Lord was angry with me on your account and on my dog's account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. Now, someone once said, when God says, don't bring it up anymore, you know what? It's probably a good idea not to bring it up anymore. 
Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and north and south and east and see it with your eyes for you shall not cross over this Jordan. Now who was Moses? This was also one of God's best friends. He said, I speak to Moses face to face. He says, I don't do that with anybody else. But you notice, even with his favorites, God, for his own reasons, is willing to say no. Just like us with our children. Do we love any little kids more than our kids? No. That sometimes means we're going to say no for different reasons. Now, in this case, why was God saying no? It was because of his public sin. God knows that if, if his leader publicly sins and then God blesses him, God is promoting unrighteousness. You remember the situation with the, the sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, who offered strange fire before the Lord. And it says in Leviticus chapter 10, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and, and burned them to a crisp right on the spot. And then in Leviticus 10.3, then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke. Leviticus 10.3, note it down if you want. Leviticus 10.3, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. And that's why uh, what a leader does, and the way they respond in obedience to God, is so crucial because people copy them. And they either learn to honor God or dishonor God. And so God had to do something to address what Moses had done wrong. He still loved Moses. An interesting thing is, what, what was Moses asking? What did it say? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan. So what did God do? We see also God's mercy here, see. He lets him go up and look. He said, you want to see it? There it is. You're not seeing it quite as close as you wanted to, but I'll let you see it. But you can't cross over so that the people will know the Lord will discipline any of His children. You can't get to such a special point that then you can sin and, and it won't matter because you're, you're in close with God. No, no, no. He disciplines even more faithfully those that are close in because we must set an example. And He must set an example for what is true and is right. But not only that, the Mount of Transfiguration, you probably heard this in the sermon, but I'll repeat it for those who haven't. Who are the two guys that appear with Jesus? It is Moses and Elijah. And Moses, he didn't cross the Jordan. God took him straight up and then brought him straight down. 1,500 years later, he says, a little late on this answer to your prayer. You know, I couldn't let you cross the Jordan with the people because that would have been a bad example. But you asked me 1,500 years ago if you could set foot here. He says, now's your chance. He says, how's it feel? What a wonderful God we have. David, move to the next. David, after the sin with Bathsheba and murdering her, having her husband murdered. 2 Samuel 12, 14 through 18. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Very similar situation with Moses. He had publicly sinned and dishonored God, and God had to do something to demonstrate to the people God is not a God of unrighteousness and not a God of favorites. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. Now at this point, David didn't say, well, okay, sirrah, sirrah, you know, if it's the Lord's will, he'll live, and if it's the Lord's will, he'll die. It said, David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. He fasted and prayed seven days for that child. His servants asked, why are you acting this way? This is uh, five verses later. The servants didn't want to go tell David that the, that the child had died, because they thought, well, when the child was living, he starved himself for seven days. He's, he'll commit suicide now if we tell him the child died. But it said that when, they, when David could tell they were whispering, he figured out what had happened. And so he asked him, is the child dead? And they said, yeah. You know, wondering, you know, take away the knives, you know. <laughs> he might kill himself. And he got up, washed his face, and went to have supper. And they said, this doesn't make any sense. When the child was alive, 
you were all distraught, and now he's dead, and, and you're going on with life. What, what, we don't understand. Why are you acting this way? Verse 22, while, watch this now, because David is such a model for us, both because he was a, a great sinner and a great saint. Not that we want to sin like him, but we want to realize how great a God we have and that Christ Jesus died to save sinners. He says, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. Every man of God in the Bible, every woman of God in the Bible, where you see much about prayers, there's one thing that you can tell about all of them. Watch this. They know in the depths of their heart God can be entreated. God's heart can be moved. His hand can be moved, and it will move through prayer. Now, maybe if you bump up against a bigger plan of God, God won't do it. But you got the best you could get by seeking Him. I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. It could be that the Lord at that point said, David, you won't see him again on this side of the grave, but you'll see him later. But I had to discipline you for the sake of my people, for the sake of my holy name. This is another case, like with Moses, that God's no was related to sin. You think of the big names in the New Testament, don't get any bigger than the name Jesus. And we also think of Peter and Paul. For a shortness of time, we'll just look at, at Jesus and Paul. But there's also a case of Peter where God said no. The reason this is important is because there are times when you've asked God for something, He didn't answer, and you thought, well, if I was a, maybe closer to Him or more special to Him, He would have answered me. You know, he, the, the, If Billy Graham had asked Him, He'd have done it. But I'm just, you know, who am I? But he has said no to the very best in this book. And it's very instructive. These are things to go back and think about some more. And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw. This is Luke 22, 41 and following. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. What an amazing passage. I think, Jesus, you're just, I mean, don't, isn't this the plan of the Father from all eternity? I, I, you're the one that's been telling us about this. When you announced your, that you'd be killed and raised from the dead, Peter said, oh, Lord, please, no. And you said, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, you had it crystal clear. Now, the night before it, you're praying, Lord, please, no. Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup. What cup? The cup of the wrath of God, the symbol of the judgment of God on sin in the Old Testament. Yet not my will, but thine be done. And he surrenders. But notice, he surrenders after making his petition. This isn't a prayer of, well, whatever, God, he says, Lord, as far as what I want, this is what I want. Unless it is not possible because of a greater plan and I will submit and surrender to that. But proper prayer isn't the suppression of all desires. It's the expression of godly desire and insisting on it that God will either do that according to what He has said or He will do something even greater. At this time or in another time, He knows. You can't always trace all the lines. But we can trust His heart. We can trust His promises. God is not man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? So obviously he didn't say no to Jesus because of Jesus' sin. So we have two cases here. Two cases where it wasn't because of sin. Two cases where God said no because of sin. Okay, now let's look at Paul. Another big name. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, 
For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Nobody knows what this was. Some people say it was an eye problem. Some will say a back problem. Some say a speech problem. He stuttered. Uh, they don't know what this was, but whatever it was, from what Paul had discerned, it was from the devil, allowed by God, with the purpose of him not thinking too highly of himself because he had experienced such wonderful things. The visions he had seen, uh, the blessing on his life. And so he felt like God had put some heavy ballast in the bottom of his boat to keep it from turning over. Some of you, God has given some very weighty things. A deep sorrow, a difficult child, a very problematic health concern that just doesn't go away and it just gets worse. And maybe you have also sought the Lord and prayed. And you think, well, maybe if I was godly or God loved me more, God would take it away. Here we have the Apostle Paul himself saying, well, you know, funny thing, same with me. I had this thing, I just bothered me so much. Just, I was bumping into it every day. It, it, it embarrassed me, it limited me, it hurt me. It was something that Satan would use in my life. And I... And I entreated the Lord three times. What he probably means was I spent a, a protracted time three times in my life fasting and praying over this. And the answer I finally got was, no. <laughs> my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I'm not going to change it. I'm going to be adequate for you to take you through this instead of to deliver you from this. For power is perfected in weakness, and this is something that makes you weak. So Paul's conclusion, well, I'm not going to bother to pray anymore. I prayed three times and he didn't answer me. No, he says, all right, now I know God's plan. That's fine. As I've said before, the idea that, Lord, I am your penny. You spend me any way you want to. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. As Jesus said to the disciples in John 11 regarding Lazarus, he said, this sickness isn't unto death, but it is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God. And Paul was able to discern that. God revealed to Paul, no, I'm going to have to tell you no on this one, as much as I love you. Not only as much as I love you, but because I love you, I must leave you with this, because the alternative is worse. He said, your boat's going to capsize if I take this ballast out of the bottom of it. And some of you have some ballast you've been praying about. Say, Lord, I, I just don't know why. Other people don't have this thing. I mean, most people don't. I mean, I, I, just me. This, this health need, whatever it is, it's just, it's just a big deal. And you have been praying about it maybe for years. And you think, well, Henry's talking about prayer and God answering prayer. Well, I, I got a couple things to tell him. Well, Paul went through this and God says, I have a bigger plan than just giving you relief from this burden. He says, I have something I'm doing that's so great in your life that this is worth it. This is worth it. And in heaven, you'll look back and you'll understand and you'll thank me. You'll thank me. Now, not only does God sometimes tell his best guys no, sometimes he tells disobedient rebels yes. You think, well, why are you answering their prayer? How about Abraham and Moses and all of these guys? And then the Israelites in the wilderness, we already mentioned this the other time, but Numbers 14 has this interesting thing where they're, don't, they're too chicken to go into the promised land, they send in the spies, they're giants in the land, walled cities. They say, I don't know if we're up to this, you know, our poor children. And, and, uh, and it says, All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. You crummy leader. Later on in the chapter, God says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing. Now, they were just grumbling to Moses. They didn't think any, God was listening in. Now, they were, hadn't said in Jesus' name or shall we pray. And they just think, well, I don't think about, think about this, you know. And God says, I heard that. What was that you said? Would that we had died in the wilderness? So I will surely do to you. 
your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. Your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. God answered their prayer. Why? To discipline them. He said, we'll just use what came right out of your mouth. We don't have to invent anything. You, what you said would be just fine. That'll do it. The careless words we have spoken, which many were, we are hoping we weren't prophetic. Wish I'd never had, kids. Don't ever say things like that. Guard your mouth. Wish you'd never married this person. Wish you'd, oh, careful. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Trust His hand. Humble yourself. The Israelites wanted a king in, in um, 1 Samuel. They didn't like this idea of judges, and everybody else had a king. Why can't we have a king? That's kind of neat, you know, the guy with the crown and the throne, and he parades through, and, you know, that's our guy, you know. Our king's better than your king. They wanted a king. And God says, well, it's not best, and it's because they don't believe me, they don't love me. They're not willing to go with a theocracy. They want a monarchy, which will turn into a dictatorship, and then later on they'll realize, but... They have asked for it, and in Psalm 106.15, it gives a commentary. God gave them their request for a king, but he sent leanness into their soul. He sent leanness into their soul. And there may be something that at a time of rebellion, you were just set on having. You were set on marrying a particular person that maybe... You didn't feel like it was God's will. Uh, it serves a profession as far as a move, as far as a possession. You said, oh, I just got to have that car, that house, that thing. And you, it's not because you prayed about it and you really sensed that's what God had. You just wanted it and you pushed it on through. And the Lord allowed it to happen. But look what happens. If it wasn't of Him and if it was out of rebellion... And looking for this life to be all of your life instead of looking for a better world, many times it results in that leanness of soul, the sense that, you know, I thought this was really going to give me life, and it didn't. I can relate to that leanness of soul. So that gives us a couple of examples of in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God's best and favored people, God told them no. So we're, if we ever get a no, we're in good company. And what were the main reasons we saw? It may be due to sin. And sin is very pervasive in our lives, so we should allow the Holy Spirit to search our heart, not looking for general guilt, and say, Lord, is there some specific sin I need to confess? The enemy deals in generalities. Oh, you're such a bad person. Well, we know that. The Bible says that. But give me something specific I can confess. And the Holy Spirit is specific. He says, this word, this action, this way of thinking, that has grieved me. You need to confess that and renounce it. But there are also cases when God says no because we bump into a bigger plan. Something that is so big and important that God insists on telling us no because the loss would be too great. And at that point, we, he may or may not tell us what the plan is. But why can we believe that? It's because he has said, I, call unto me and I will answer thee. And so the only reason why he wouldn't fulfill that is he's got something better in mind. And we must believe that, beloved. We must believe it. Why? Because he said it. And our only alternative is to say he's a liar. And I'm not going to go there. I don't want to get to heaven having con uh, accused God of being a liar. I mean, I talk about the pot calling the, I don't know who, what, black. But uh, I want to move into something new now uh, in terms of uh, perseverance. And I want to call it pestering God or bugging God, okay? Uh, so we're going to cover a couple things here. This is uh, about Job, that poor fellow. There's a wonderful written sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon just on this text. And he says, this text captures the heart of intercessory prayer. And he has about 30 pages on this. And I'm not going to give them all to you. But I never forget when I read this thing 25 years ago, and I thought, huh, 
well, that is interesting. And uh, Job 23, 3 and 4 says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's talking about God. That I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Go figure, huh? I mean, Spurgeon could find a text and would build this big thing out of it. You say, wow, man, I, I never would have gotten that out of that verse. But let's look at what he was mentioning here. There are two things that he lit on here. He says, if I could come to the Lord, and now the Lord has said, come, draw near to the throne of grace. The door is wide open. You hide yourself in Jesus Christ and you sneak in like you were righteous. Because Jesus is righteous. That's what it means to come in His name. You come cloaked totally in Jesus so that the wrath of God doesn't see anything sinful. It just sees Jesus. That's why you're so safe in His presence. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He says, but if I could come to Him, I'd do two things. Let's look at these things. I would order my cause before Him. I would tell Him exactly what my problem is. I would tell him exactly what I would like him to do about it. I would spell it out in detail. And then the second thing I would do, he said I would fill my mouth with arguments. Now, if you only had this text, you would really have your doubts as to, to what degree this had anything to do with us and prayer. But I urge you in the next year, as you do your Bible reading and you, you begin to light on different passages where you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses... Um, people calling out to God in just about every case. Dan Daniel, in, in the book of Daniel, in just about every case, this sums up what they did. I think, huh, you know, that's a coincidence. That's just what Job said. There are two things. One, I would order my case before him. I'd say, now, this is the case I've got for you. Remember, remember Abraham praying to God about Sodom and Gomorrah. What was in Abraham's mind? Oh, if he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, i got a relative living there, Lot. It, it, was there any moment during the whole time talking with God at that point that he ever mentions the name Lot? Nope. He said, Lord, there's still some righteous people. We won't name any names, but there's still some righteous people there in, in Sodom. Would you sweep away the righteous with the guilty? Far be it from thee. Now, this is his argument, see? I'd fill my mouth with arguments. What's his argument? A righteous God, you wouldn't do that. Far be, Lord, that would not be correct. We see when God wants to destroy the people of Israel. And he says, Moses, this isn't working out. Why don't you just get over about 100 yards over here. Let me wipe them out. We'll start over again with you, well, like I did with Abraham. And Moses says, oh, no, 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 no. He orders his cause for him. Please forgive them. And if not, wipe me out. And he, said, but, and he says, why should God forgive them? He says, all the nations are watching us. And they will conclude God could bring them out of Egypt, but he couldn't take them in the promised land. So to cover up his mistake, he just wiped them out. That, Lord, that would look weak. He's arguing with God. He fills his mouth with arguments. Now this kind of energy requires that you actually believe that God is and that he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. And for some reason, God loves us to do this. Because we're really fully engaged and we're praying according to what God has told us, how he is and who he is. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Now look over here just for a second. I have a little hill here, and uh, there are two kinds. It's always easier to be, you know, slide down, be on one side of the hill or the other, and this isn't in your notes if you want to just jot it down on the back. But one side of the hill we're going to call animism, and the other side we're going to call fatalism. And this is the dichotomy between God's sovereignty and man's free will. Now, some people say, uh, God can't do anything unless you pray, and you've got to pray in just the right way, and if you fit, do all the formula right, then, uh, then God will answer. And that easily gets into animism and superstition, that it's mostly me, and what I do, and what I think, and what I want. It's very me-centered, and God is sort of like a commodity, like a glorified gold rush. 
that you just figure out what are the strings you pull, you figure out what God likes. That, that's the whole thing about animism. It's not a thing of morality and righteousness and holiness and humility. It's that every God kind of has the things they like. You know, if they like peanuts or they like sacrificed chickens, you just find out what they like, you give them that, then they'll be happy and they won't cause you any trouble. That's animism. That, every, that there's spirits out there and we can manipulate, figure out, get the special knowledge to manipulate the spirits. doesn't matter if you're an adult or anything like that. No, no, no. You just figure out what, what those gods kind of like as far as uh, things you can toss them. You keep them at bay and get a few blessings and you go on your merry way. That's animism. The other side is fatalism. God has determined the end from the beginning. He's already decided everything. So, que sera, sera. Why bother to pray? God helps those who help themselves. It's all a done deal, so I'm not going to waste my time praying. I'm going to get out there and do good works. Be a nice person. And this is very strong in Islam, this idea of fatalism. It's already determined. And, there, and whenever you find somebody that has a dead prayer life, a lot of times it's because they slipped into this area of fatalism. Well, it doesn't make any difference anyway. And so we pray a little bit just to garnish the plate, but I mean, you know, that's not going to make any difference. Can't make any difference. God is sovereign. And I want to suggest to you tonight that a proper reading of the book, of the Bible, ends us up here at a very difficult place to stay, but where we equally believe everything he said. What? That on the one hand, his eternal decrees are unchanging, have been fixed from the beginning of time. That from past eternity, he has foreordained those who will be elect and those he will save. And nothing can thwart his plan. But at the same time, the same Bible says just as clearly, what you reap you will sow. You have not because you ask not. Call unto me and I will answer you. Again and again and again, he says, entreat me. When, when the three guys accuse Job uh, in, in the book of Job, that whole long thing, at the end of the book, God says, you guys are in a heap of trouble. He says, you need to go get Job to pray for me, and I'll let off. I said, well, what does that have to do with it? I mean, you're either going to do it or you're not. Well, what did Job praying about it have to do with anything? God says, that's the way I have foreordained to work. I will work through prayer. And this high ground here is very difficult to maintain. Without, you know, without sliding off into thinking, well, it's just me and, and the things I, I do to manipulate God, or the other thing, well, God does whatever he pleases and I'm just trying to not get in the way. God wants us fully engaged, and you notice with all the men in the Bible, and women in the Bible, that are really people of God, they engage God. What did, what did Elijah do after they calls down fire from heaven? He says, well, the Lord may send rain, you know, we just don't know. I mean, it's just the weather and God and... No, he went, he went and knelt down and prayed. Remember on Mount Carmel, uh, over, overlooking the, 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 the Mediterranean Sea, he knelt down and prayed. And then he said to, what was it, Ge uh, Elisha or Gehazi or somebody, um, he said, uh, his servant, he said, go look. You see any clouds? Nope. Okay, pray again. How about now? Nope. Pray again. He prayed until, they, okay, you finally get a cloud. He says, I see a cloud the size of a man's face. He says, there it is, it's coming. Okay, let's race back down, and he outruns the king and everything. God delights in this, friend. He delights in this. Now we, again, what I said at the very beginning, we must learn to be guided by what God has said in the Scriptures and by the Holy Spirit and not be guided by, yeah, but with the flesh and the logic that leaves us in limbo and leaves us with a neutered, prayer life. Let's just look at what God said and believe Him. Jesus uh, with the widow and the unrighteous judge, same thing. Jesus told His disciples a parable, Luke 18, to show them that they should, why bother to pray everything and you just trust God? That they should always pray and not give up. Why? This is the channel through which God has designed to work. In a certain town there was a judge and there was a widow and, and she pesters him and he finally gives in. And you get the idea that God is not saying, she was so disrespectful. Can you believe this woman? She was just bugging him and bothering him. He says, no. he says I like that. Be like that widow. He says, because I'm a whole lot better than that judge. Pester me. Bug me. 
Call out to me. Come to me. Look to me. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He says, don't bother to ask. No, he doesn't say that. Cry out day and night. He says, that is what pulls heaven down to earth. And don't ever think otherwise because he has said it so. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, his one worry, if you want to call it that, concern. When the Son of Man comes, when I return again, will he find anybody on earth that believes this stuff? I mean, think about it. What if this thing was all true? Friend, it is. And one day we're going to step into heaven and we're all going to look around and look over the next guy over and says, good grief. It was all true. Yeah, well, we believed it, but, you know, believed it. Sort of, you know. This is the truth. Let God be found true and every man a liar. Another very instructive passage on what God wants and what God likes is this idea of Jacob wrestling with the angel. And But you remember Jacob was going to meet Esau, his, his estranged brother, and he knew Esau was planning on killing him. Esau was a man of action anyway, and you don't want to get men of action that mad at you. And so he sends a present on first, and then he sends his wife and little kids, Esau's nephews and nieces, and think, well, you know, first uh, we'll try and bribe him, then we'll try and tug on his maybe fatherly heart if he has any, and then I'll come. And, and so he goes back and waits across the ford, and he's in the middle of the night, and somebody jumps on him. Good grief, you know, it's, he must be Esau, you know, he's fighting for his life and wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, and we don't even know, I mean, it's, it's like this ball of fur and things, you know, where you're going around like this, he says, well, who is he? And who's the other he? I don't know. I mean, they're kind of going around so fast. I'm not sure who said this. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So that was, you know, God touching uh, Jacob. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. The angel says this, and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, and this is what Jacob says. Now, maybe Jacob still thinks it's Esau. We don't know at that point. Esau won't let you go unless you bless me, unless you say it's okay. So this other person says, uh, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, it must not be Esau, because he wouldn't be asking me my name. And that's why he jumped on me in the first place. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob just had a shiver go all the way through him. Good grief, I thought this was Esau. I have been fighting with God, and, uh, and he didn't kill me. And at that point, God says, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you the name Israel, which many think means, is translated, he who wrestles with God. Now, God didn't give him that name to correct him and say, because you were just so cheeky and disrespectful, I mean, I came to visit you and you leapt on me. Oh, no, you leapt on me. You know, well, who knows? And, but he doesn't say that. We get the very clear picture that something about this God really liked. He says, I like this so much. Instead of calling the nation, my, my people, instead of calling them Abrahamics or, or Isaacs, we're going to call them that by the new name I'm going to give you. I'm going to call you Israel, he who wrestles with God, he who struggles with God. He says, I want to make that the name of the nation. He says, I like that. Because you have to have faith to struggle with God. The unbeliever turns his back on God and walks away. The believer says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He doesn't say, well, he'll bless me if he wants to. If he doesn't, he doesn't. No, no. Israel, he wrestles with God, that honors God because only the person of faith will do that. And God says, I want you to be active. I don't want you just to be lying there like a limp, wet, disrag and say, oh Lord, whatever. He says, come on. Come on. Come to me, you know. Let's go a couple of rounds. And you see this again and again and again in the Bible. And, and never does God say, oh, that's disrespectful. Don't do that. You get the idea. He likes this. He wants us to present our case before him and fill our mouth with arguments. And he says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not.
Now, I should stop right now. But I want to mention this last thing, and whatever I don't finish, I'll finish next time. But this idea of praying big. Dawson Trotman, founder of the Navigators, one time had a prayer meeting when he was about 26 years old for I don't know how many days, but up in the mountains in, in California. And first they just prayed over the youth groups they worked with, then they prayed over the whole state. Then they got a map of the United States, prayed for each state. Lord, use me in Texas, use me in Oklahoma, use our lives in Massachusetts. And then they, they finished with the United States, so they got a map of the world, said, use my life in the Philippines. This is a 26-year-old. Lord, use our lives in Korea. Use our lives in, what's the name of those little islands out there, the Sandwich Islands? Use our lives in the Sandwich Islands. About eight, ten years later, after working with military people, he was cleaning out the drawer of a, a little side uh, thing beside his bed, and he had all these letters from servicemen. He was about to throw them away and thought, well, I'll just note down where they're from. There were letters from every one of the 50 states there, or 48 states, however many they were back at then. And he realized God had already answered that prayer to use their lives to touch people all throughout the United States. The Navigators now have ministries in about 110, 120 countries of the world. They have staff of, of about, from about 80 different nationalities ministering in about that many languages, all springing out of a prayer time where two little people prayed big. And when he would go on trips, and they'd have the, at the Navigator headquarters, they'd have prayer meeting on some night, like Wednesday night. And so he would call Thursday morning to the secretary, and he'd say, what did they pray about? Did they ask for peanuts? Or did they ask for continents? He says, I want to make sure they're asking big things because God is big. Now, this does not at all mean you don't pray over the little things. You pray over anything that is big enough to bother you. You are his child. And when your child comes with a cut or something like that, you don't say, oh, come when, you, when your arm's hanging by a thread. Don't come with just a little cut. If it hurts, son, come to me. We'll do something about it. But don't just pray little. Also pray big. What are you asking God for in your life? We'll talk some more about that next week. Let's close in prayer. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.